Just like any generation, everyone has their favorite time frame for movies. Whether it's the nostalgia of the memories they bring back, the actors portraying a favorite character, or the fact that they may just be timeless classics. Our parents had movies like West Side Story, Easy Rider, and Animal House, and lots and lots of Clint Eastwood movies. We grew up in a different time, the 1990s, when films were getting bigger budgets, now mega directors were getting their start, and the graphics were getting way better, resulting in some damn fine films. Calling a movie a film has always sounded pretentious to me, so we're going to stick with movies, and you'll see that our taste in movies does very little, but a good fart joke always makes everyone laugh. Pop your popcorn, grab an overpriced soda, and get that sweet middle-of-the-theater seat for our latest... All right, in this fireside chat, we are going to roll through the movies of the 1990s and some of our favorites, the ones that conjure up the good memories that we had as kids or young adults, either one. Oh, yeah. Uh, Elicit those warm feelings. Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of movie, I believe, is nostalgia. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like I said in the intro, it's kind of like the memories you, if you have a specific movie that you remember watching either Mm -hmm. with your friends or at a theater or with your first girlfriend, whatever the case may be, it always just kind of gives you that warm fuzzy. It's true, and it's uh, it, it's great too when uh, you have a movie you love as a, as a kid, and then you rewatch it later, and it still holds up pretty well. It's a bummer when it doesn't hold up very well. Yeah, and, it is. Uh, that happened to me with Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, which <laughs> I thought I legitimately watched that movie. No exaggeration. I think I've probably seen it seventy or eighty times when I was a kid. And uh, actually, this was probably about uh, when I was about 18 or 19 and we were sitting around with some friends and I was like, oh, hell yeah, Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Let's watch it. And then it was a about 30 minutes of sheer shame because everybody was like, <laughs> this is fucking horrible, man. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Let's just turn it off. We didn't even finish the movie. Yeah. yeah what sucks is uh, his son and the crow kind of rings true to that as well. The crow yeah. at the time was like. I haven't watched Banger it. Banger of a movie. You haven't seen The Crow? No, no. I watched it and worshipped it when I oh, yeah. okay. came okay, out. Okay. But I haven't seen it probably since the 90s. Hasn't I, aged well. It hasn't? Did nah. you watch it recently? Uh, maybe a recently? couple years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's one of those kind of like dark thrillers yes. a little bit more. So I think it carries on a little bit better than most films out mm-hmm. of the 90s. But yeah, it's still, it's a little bit tough to it's watch. It's very set in that time. You know what I'm saying? Like you see it and you're like, this movie could never be made in any other year than like 93 or 94 or whatever. Oh yeah. Didn't it have a bunch of like Nine Inch Nails on the oh, soundtrack? Oh yeah, the great soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah. Awesome. Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah. had like Grunge. Helmet. Yeah, there's a Jesus Mary Chain. There's a bunch of-, of, of It's of, a really of, good soundtrack. Cure. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Who wants to start it up with your uh, favorite 90s movies? All right, I'll go first. I'll go uh, with mine, which I chose Fight Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and this one was a really big movie for me. It wasn't when I was a kid, obviously, or whatever. So let's go, like, the adoration of this movie by waves of male adolescence has become a bit of a meme in itself. Of course. And somewhat rightfully so. Uh, But as one of those male adolescents who was actually honestly impacted by the movie, let me defend it and let me defend myself for a little (laughs) bit. Nowadays, the common uh, interpretation of the film is that Tyler Durden was undoubtedly the bad guy. That Jack was ultimately destroyed by the anarchist, rebellious Tyler and was conclusively saved by the somewhat mediating feminine force of Marla Singer. If you guys haven't watched this movie, I apologize. If you have, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. We pretty much here at Asshole Court assume that you've seen every movie that we're going to talk about here in the 90s. And if you haven't, I'm sorry. 
please go watch it. Yeah, exactly. And the argument is that, well, the argument now is that Tyler Durden is the textbook example of toxic masculinity, right? Of course. I disagree, though. That's somewhat true, as most things in life are, but there's a lot more there. So let's talk about the movie and the way I see it. First of all, why did the movie make such an impact on a 19-year-old me, right? Was Tyler Durden just a cool-looking dude who tapped into an innate sense of rebellion? I mean, Tyler Durden is a cool-looking character. And yes, I do have an admittedly innate rebellious streak, always have. So I was probably primed for this type of character. But the thing for me wasn't the aesthetics of Tyler or anything like that. It was the actual message. And that message was that consumerism is inherently empty and soul-sucking. And uh, you didn't really have to participate in it if you didn't want to. Seems sort of cliche nowadays, but at the time, 18-year-old me, 19-year-old me, at the height of the bling-bling hip-hop era, when everything was about, like, I want to have a nice car, and I want to have a huge mansion, and I want to be on Cash money taking over for the 9-9 and 2000. Exactly. I I want MTV to come to my house and be on Cribs, and that's, like, my metric for success. It made me stop and think for a minute. It was honestly it was a revelation, right? What, did you think that you were going to go move into an abandoned old house, like a dilapidated house? And No, it wasn't so much that. It wasn't that you had to live that exact lifestyle. It's just that certain things that he brought up were like, okay, we know why did I care about the purchases I made? What do they say about me? Sure. Well, what does it matter what kind of car I drive? Why am I so worried about looking successful to people, especially the people that I don't fucking know at all? You know what I'm saying? It's society, man. Yeah. Why do I know what a duvet is? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's a blanket. <laughs> is, it, is this essential to our survival in the hunter-gatherer sense of the word? No. So honestly, like I said, 19-year-old me, you know, it made me think about accepted social norms. And there is always aspects of social constructs that are unreasonable and stupid. Of course there are. And Durden is exactly right when he says, like, you're not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You're not the car you drive. You're not the contents of your wallet. You're not your fucking khakis, right? But what to do about these perceived misguided social norms is where Tyler Durden went awry. It's perfectly reasonable to scoff at the Starbucks latte as a kind of status signifier, a sign for some that you have taste and expendable income. It's completely unreasonable to destroy a Starbucks with a shitty piece of corporate art. I know that now. 19-year-old me thought it was strategically (laughs) genius and hilarious. Part of me still does, but it's just not really acceptable. Oh, yeah. The big, was that, the marble? Yeah, they had the big stone marble. Yeah, they cut it down with welding tools, and then it rolled into the Starbucks facade. Didn't somebody die on that one? Not that. Well, it may have been that one. Yeah, his name is Robert Paulson. That was Meatloaf's character. You don't say his name. That's true. All right. His name is Robert Paulson. Uh, It's understandable to point out that to some extent, men might feel emasculated by the modern world, a world in which many fathers have been absent and the millennia's long role for men as protector and hunter has been replaced by sometimes soul-sucking office work and the accrual of consumer goods as a metric of success. But it's stupid to make the response to that sense an illegal fight club where members maim and are maimed. Yeah. But I did love the scene where... uh, the owner of the establishment oh, yeah. came down, and Tyler Durden was like, yeah. like the whole fight, the blood. Yeah, he beat his ass real bad, but Tyler Durden just basically spit blood all over him until he was like, okay, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> I haven't been tested. <laughs> <laughs> it's reasonable to feel that rampant and empty consumerism is a kind of cultural poison that can diminish a sense of deeper meaning for a lot of people. It's irresponsible for a group to commit acts of terrorism in an attempt to destroy society as a whole in order to erase it. Now, wasn't this the second wave of them or something like that? Yeah, that's when they had Project Mayhem. Yeah, Project Mayhem. And they were basically just destroying everything, which leads up to the culmination of the end of the film, which is fantastic. But uh, 
You know, it's ultimately in the movie, the narrator, Jack, becomes aware of the absurdity of Tyler's response to these legitimate social frustrations and seems to take back control of the situation. Perhaps a little bit too late, though, as the movie's ending shows. And let's talk about the ending, because that is an iconic ending to a movie if I've ever seen one. It blew me away the yeah. first time that I said I did not see it coming. Right. And I was just flabbergasted. Yeah. It, it was beautiful yeah, the way that they that, did that. Yeah, that very last scene is like the music starts in and, you know. it's That been, song is amazing. The oh, yeah. The song is Pixies. perfect. The music's perfect. And yep. then like the, the buildings blowing up yep. and everything in the background. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. And that's the other thing about Fight Club. David Fincher directed the movie perfectly. It's truly like an astounding work of cinematography and storytelling. Brad Pitt was so good as Tyler Durden that when people look back at his career, it will probably be his defining role, I believe. Ed Norton was perfect as Jack, the whiny, ineffective protagonist. Helena Bonham Carter was fucking, was Marla Singer. Yeah. Amazing. Equal parts sexy and repulsive. Yeah, like I wanted to fuck her, but I also like at the same time was like, get the fuck away from me. Yeah, dude. You know, like, she was gross and hot somehow. Though. Yeah, it was, it was perfect the way that they did that. Yeah, dude. So basically, like, all the pistons were firing on this project, man. I mean, like I said, even if you didn't buy into, the, like, the, the philosophical underpinnings, you had to be wowed by the excellent direction, the acting, and the completely original story. You don't have to be. Ah, uh, I've been quiet the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched Fight Club, like, one and a half times. Uh-huh. I watched it once, didn't really care for it, mm-hmm. so I gave it another shot yeah. and got through, like, half of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just... Not my thing. I don't know. I didn't really like the plot. I mean, we'll talk about my favorite movies. You'll see how just Mm. surface level and stupid they are. But (laughs) I don't know. Just wasn't my bag, man. It really wasn't. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But like I said, I mean, if you, the thing also is that you don't catch everything on the first watch. Like there's all sorts of little Easter eggs throughout the movie that you catch on like the second, the third, the 15th watch. And also Uh, just the second watch when you know what the deal is. Right. Just seeing everything, you you almost see it in different eyes the second time that you watch it. You start to see that kind of lapse in between Tyler and... Right, right. What's his name? What's the name? Jack. Well, they never supposed to say his name, but it's supposed to be Jack because he's like, I am Jax. I am Jax. Lack of surprise or whatnot. Actually, there's funny parts in it, man. Like when they find uh, his baggage has an issue or whatever and there's... You know, he's like, what was it, ticking or something? The guy's like, nah. He said, throwers don't worry about ticking because modern bombs don't tick. And he's like, sorry, modern bombs vibrate. He's like, that's when we got to call the people in. He says, nine times out of ten, it's an electric razor. But every once in a while, it's a dildo. <laughs> of course, it's never company policy to imply ownership in the event of a dildo. We have to use the indefinite article, a dildo, never your dildo. <laughs> so I said, then there's shocking parts like when Jack beats the fucking Christ out of Jared Leto. Jeez, uh, yeah. I wanted to destroy something pretty or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, it beat him senseless, which God is cool. Damn, I, I love Jared Leto, and he he did a great job in that movie. Mm-hmm. But God, he got his fucking face bashed in on that. Yeah, he did, man. And it's also, like I said, to me, it's it's so good of a movie that it falls into the rare category, which is a movie that is actually better than the book that it's based on. Yeah, I read the that's book. That's very few and far between. Very yeah. few and far between. I read the book, and again, like I saw, the, I read the book after the movie. Obviously, mm-hmm. most everybody did. Sure. But it was obvious even then. And it's also, like I said, it's the only movie that I'm aware of where the actual author admitted that the movie was better than the book. They asked Chuck Palahniuk, the guy who wrote it, and he's actually written a bunch of really good books. Uh, and he said, now that I see the movie, I was sort of embarrassed of the book because the movie had streamlined the plot and made it so much more effective. 
and made connections that I never thought to make. There's a line about fathers setting up franchises with other families, and I never thought about connecting that with the fact that Fight Club was being franchised and the movie made that connection. I was just beating myself in the head for not having made that connection myself. Yeah. So if the author is like, dude, I mean, that's the only book I've ever heard where the author actually not only liked the movie, but thought it was better. Sure. I mean, I can't tell you how many countless times I've read the book and then seen the movie and was like, this movie's a piece of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, part of that too is when you read the book, you create your own images mm -hmm. of how people look and what they sound yeah. like and you kind of have this story in your head and the movie, it just never matches your imagination. No. For you know me, I mean? one of the biggest times with that was The Da Vinci Code and I loved, I read that book, I loved it. It actually kind of got me back into reading a little bit mm -hmm. and the villain that I had built up in my head when mm -hmm. I saw the movie version of him. I was yeah. like, that guy fucking sucks. Right. You know, and well, and that's honestly the book ending was very different than the movie ending. Yeah, too. Of and course. The movie ending was better. It was a better way to leave, leave it off. Yeah, sure. And like I said, the, you know, the quality of the movie is made more self-evident by the fact that the studio famously botched the marketing push for the film. They tried to make it like an MMA meets fast and the furious movie. Like that movie never backed down or whatever. That's when I went to the movie theater when I was 19 years old. I thought that that was what I was about to see. Right. Like a straight up fight movie or whatever. And I was completely fucking confused. I was like, why was this character attending a cancer support group and crying into Meatloaf's giant boobs? <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? Why wasn't there more fighting and car races and hot chicks fighting in a race car? Yeah. See, I was on the opposite end of that spectrum. Like, I heard nothing about the movie going into it. Yeah. And I went in and was like, holy fuck, like this is one of the best movies I've seen in recent history. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When it came out on DVD and I rewatched it was when, like I said, it was on the second watch where I was like, okay, I fucking, this is great. I get it. Yeah. So yeah, man. I mean, and that's the thing. By the time the DVD uh, got released, the movie was reexamined by a ton of people and went on beyond just being like a cult film. It ended up being like a seminal movie for a lot of people in our generation. Yeah, sure. You know, it's not everybody's bag, but. It's uh like I said, it's 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 not my favorite movie still, but it's still in, in my top five and it was my favorite movie for for many years. Sure. All right. Well, that uh will lead us right into my one of my top picks from the 90s. And um, it has absolutely nothing to do with fighting. Mm -hmm. And that's Forrest <laughs> Gump. All right. Awesome. Movie. Man, that he did Forrest Gump fought a good bit in that movie, though. Man, you know, that's a. Verbal altercation. Oh, he, yeah, he fought. Oh. Vietnam. He fucked that dude up at the Black Panther party. I'm sorry, sorry I rolled. I ruined, ruined your, your Black, Black Panther party. Yeah, he fucked Jenny's boyfriend up in college too. Dude, that dude was asking for it. <laughs> God damn it! All right, he's getting a little gropy. No, I did love that scene where uh, that guy who got, got his ass beat at the Black Panther party when they're about to get onto the bus. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know, and Forrest kind of looks at yeah, him yeah. and gives mm -hmm. him that I look. Think you should go back home to Greenbow, Alabama. <laughs> Yeah, that was fantastic. But I mean, I mean, the the movie was incredible. I mean, it had Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise, Robin Wright, Sally Field, and I mean, it covered several decades in the life of Forrest Gump, a slow-witted but kind-hearted man from Alabama who witnessed and unwittingly influences several defining historical events in the 20th century United States. The movie came out July 6, 1994, so yeah. we're right at 26 years ago. I saw wow. it in theaters, man. Yeah. Remember, the, I went and there was the whole craze, too, where Forrest Gump clothing and stuff was sold. Oh, I man. Had, they started oh, yeah. the Bubba, Bubba Gump. I, company, yeah. I had uh, legit Forrest Gump boxer shorts, bro. Nice. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I actually went and specifically went and ate at the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Okay. I think it was like down New Orleans or yeah. something like that. Yeah. It was pretty good, All right. you know. But, you know, it was the top grossing film in America released that year and earned over $677 million worldwide during its theatrical run. 
In 2011, the Library of Congress selected the film for preservation in the United States National Film Registry as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Yeah. So the film starts off in Savannah, and I mean, as you guys know, as Georgia boys, back in middle school, we went to Savannah. As, that. That's one of you the big trips. You guys went to Savannah. Yeah. I didn't get to go. <laughs> Why didn't you get to go, Randy? Oh, I got in a little bit too much trouble throughout the year and uh, made one final stupid decision. And my, I remember my teacher looking me dead in the eye. She's like, that's it. You're not going. And I was yeah. like, oh, oh, man, that's yeah. rough because we went... Like the year after the movie was made, yeah, and like we were like running around like trying the to find the bench, yeah. yeah, exactly, and the bench stuff is like gone that. Now, by the way, it is. Yeah, yep, there's just a little plaque on the ground. Oh, really? Yep. Why oh, did the they move the bench? I mean, it seems like you could just leave it there, but oh well. Yeah, I was down there maybe a year ago. Okay. Bench is gone, man. Well, you know, I mean, the movie's about you know Forrest Gump. He's a slow-witted guy, you know, just mm. barely below the standard IQ level. Mm. He wears leg braces as a kid and often gets bullied. And while fleeing from the bullies, the leg braces come off, revealing that he's actually a really fast runner. Yeah. You know, and because of that, he gets a scholarship to the University of Alabama. I can run like the wind blows. I can run like the wind blows. Yeah, it's infinitely quotable, too. Oh, all day. There's yeah, so many just... quotes from this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I even have it at the end. I mean, like, there's like 10 great quotes from this movie, and I actually stop because you just can't. There's too many. Yes. What's yeah. your favorite quote? What's the one you use the most often? You know, I guess there's a couple of them, you know, but I mean, the one that sticks out in my mind the most is you know that i'm not a smart man <laughs> but i know what love is hey, you can always plug something in there yeah. i'm not a smart man but i know what burgers are or whatever <laughs> i mean you can pick out whatever you want my favorite was definitely uh mama died on a tuesday no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's savage damn bro. that's dark <laughs> just kidding i always go with the one uh whenever i'm like at a picnic or something like that because i always say since I wasn't hungry, but thirsty, and since they was free, I must have had me about 12 Dr. Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that on the back end where he's like, I went to the White House again, again and met the president, the president again. That's when he was uh, taking a whiz in the White House bathroom because he had a piece of bath from the Dr. Pepper and he saw the uh, picture, picture of Marilyn Monroe. That's yeah, right. with JFK, yeah. you know. And it's right after that that he meets Lyndon B. Johnson because mm-hmm. he had gotten the Medal of Honor from Vietnam. Yep. That's when Lyndon B. Johnson kind of whispers in his ear, I'd like to see yeah, that. I'd like to see he that. He drops his pants and he's like, God damn, boy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was just kidding. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's classic. Something bit me. Yeah. He said, they said it was a million dollar wound, but I never saw any of that money. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite quotes of the oh, movie, yeah. too. It's yeah. classic, dude. And I mean, like, he does everything. Like, he was there for uh, Governor George Wallace's stand in at the mm-hmm. schoolhouse door. You know, he becomes a ping pong sports celebrity. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another one of my favorite lines. When I was in China on the All-American ping pong team, I just love playing with my Flexo Light ping pong paddle. That's right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he uh, starts the shrimping company up yep. with Lieutenant Dan. Now, he was supposed to start it with Bubba. With Bubba. All right. Now, Bubba was his best good friend. Mm-hmm. He met him in the Army. That's right. And uh, unfortunately, Bubba met his maker. There in Vietnam. And, you two uh, cousins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not of relation. <laughs> when they just looked at each other like, are we? Yeah. He said, Gary Sinise. <laughs> yeah. Don't you fucking salute me. They're just dying to grease an officer out here. But also the movie focus around him and Jenny. Yeah. You know, Jenny was his first elementary school yeah. love. She lets him sit next to him on the bus when everybody else is being mean to him. Yep. You know, and I've just got to state here. Fuck Jenny. All right. Yeah, she, she was, was a bitch. I was thinking the same thing. Right. She just she kind of pisses you off the whole movie because yeah. she just 
rejects the guy after he's so nice to her and just wants nothing but the best for her, and mm-hmm. she continues just to go get fucked until, up. And, until she, at, there's no other choice. She has to, right, she has yeah. to need him. Last resort. Oh, mm-hmm. And then she comes back to him. But even the fuck shit about that was that they're kind of living the married life, yeah. but they're you know not together, and that's where that whole scene comes in with the, I'm not a smart man, yeah, but I know yeah. what love is. Is he smart, or is he like me? Yeah, <laughs> breaks my heart, man. Dude, every time. Yeah. You know, but then she's like, you know what, fuck it. She fucks him that night, mm-hmm. and then she leaves the next morning before he even wakes yeah. up. Yeah. All right, now that's, that's messed up, all right? Of course. And that sends him into a big depression. What does he do? He runs the next three mm-hmm. years of his life, yep. you know, from that point on. You know, he's like, I'm just running. Yeah. But she comes back once, uh, yeah, they have Little Forest, and then she's like, oh, by the way, I kept all these clippings, so I know you're super famous and fucking loaded. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, by the way, yeah, I have AIDS. I've got AIDS. Yeah, and, and I'm going to come and move book, with you. She gave AIDS uh, to Forrest, and he died at the end. Yeah, that's no, a, that's, that's why the feather <laughs> kind of floats away at the end. It's actually that was forest. his last white blood cell. <laughs> if, it, if, it, if that had happened, the next scene would have been him meeting Magic Johnson. Oh yeah, and they would have <laughs> he would have come up with a way to live forever. Yeah, yeah. or he meets Magic Johnson in a men's bathroom stall, and it answers a lot of <laughs> questions. So, I've never yeah. seen a black man's penis that large. <laughs> oh my god! He said, "Is that why they call you Magic?" He said, That's a magic wand. <laughs> he cast a spell on me. The movie is timeless. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's man. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I still watch it to this day. If I'm flipping through the channels and I see it on, I'll watch it. Oh, yeah, you know, and no doubt. You don't even have to watch the whole thing. It's sort of like I do the same thing with like Goodfellas. I can watch 15 minute clips and you're yeah. still like, I'm good. Yeah, sure. You know, and I'd be honest, like as a grown ass man, I can't think of really any movies that like make me almost cry. Forrest Gump, when he talks to her at the grave, you died on a Tuesday. I'm like, oh shit, my throat hurts. <laughs> I got your letter yeah, for dude. Forrest Jr. Yeah. I didn't read it. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, man, it's fucking brutal if you don't if you have any berries are underneath the tree that yep. they played in as kids yep. yeah if you have a soul and you don't your throat doesn't at least hurt a little bit during that scene you know what i'm saying i i don't know what the problem is but no it's a fucking fantastic movie. but yeah one of my favorites of the 90s and no doubt. Uh, of me all too. time you yeah. know me too so uh segueing into great films and just cinematic genius one of my favorites of all time is Dumb and Dumber. Hey! Absolutely. It is genius. It absolutely is. And just like you alluded to, buddy, if it's on TV, it's what we're watching. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know I mean? And you can catch that in 15, 20. Last night, it was on TV. Oh, nice. I got the scene where uh, they had picked up the hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. and um, Pick him up! And, yep, <laughs> and they're singing the Mockingbird song. Yeah. Mock- I remember they were playing it on the 70s radio at work one day, and I was like, this is a real fucking song? <laughs> yeah. And then the guy I worked with is a lot older, so he was like, yeah, this is where I was like, this is from Dumb and Dumber. He was like, no, no, no this is a big hit in the 70s. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's actually one of my favorite lines, too. The, have you ever heard the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> yeah. And he goes to reach for his gun. <laughs> hey, there's some more hitchhikers there. Pick them up. Pick them up. <laughs> See. <laughs> yeah. See. <laughs> All right, so quick overview of the movie. Harry Dunn and Lloyd Christmas are best friends living in Providence, Rhode Island, trying to make their way through life, fighting an uphill battle because both of them are pretty much idiots. They're very lovable, innocent idiots, at least. Lloyd is a limo driver that gives a ride to redheaded Mary Swanson, who he watches leave a briefcase in the middle of the airport. 
He runs in and snags the briefcase very dramatically. Mm-hmm. Remember, he slides and snags it right in front of the two guys that were the, the guy and the girl that were going to pick it up. But yeah. remember, right before that is when he uh, the wrecks bag. the limo. Yeah. Goodbye, my <laughs> love! <laughs> Uh, they come to the realization that their lives suck and they need to make the trip to Aspen to give the briefcase back to Marion so that Lloyd can live out his fantasy and live happily ever after with her. California. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that John Denver's full of shit. Yeah, dude, so, like I said, I can quote this movie. All day. I know every fucking line yeah. of this movie. Oh, yeah. Without My hands movies. are so cold. Do you <laughs> want this extra pair of gloves I've got? We're in the Rockies. Yeah, yeah that scream he makes when he's, your hands are freezing. <laughs> Just go, man. <laughs> so many quotes. Uh, the trip out to Aspen and Harry's dog care van, well, most of the way in the Mutt's Cuts van, is about two-thirds of the movie, and it is flat-out hilarious. Once they get to Aspen, the laughs continue as they search to find Mary and return the briefcase, now full of IOUs. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the funniest parts of that movie, I think, is when they're trying to get money to mm-hmm. go to Aspen. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I sold a couple of things, <laughs> some baseball cards. Petey. Yeah, he's like, wait, where'd you get those snacks? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's like, we're on a very tight budget. Mm-hmm. Oh, this wasn't included in the travel budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> where'd you get the cash? I sold a few things, yeah. Baseball cards. Petey. Petey. You sold Petey to a blind kid? <laughs> yeah, dude. The dead bird and that, has cuts, head yeah. to- that has his head ripped off? It does a great job of cutting right to that bird with its head off, and that kid going, pretty bird. <laughs> pretty bird. <laughs> pretty bird. So the movie was released on December 16th, 1994. It grossed $247 million at the box office. Banging. Yeah. The Fairley brothers didn't know who Jim Carrey was. They were only told that he was the white guy from In Living Color. Only after a screening of Carrey's first major acting role, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, they realized they had the right guy for the job. Yeah. Damn, they did. Yeah. I totally meant, and I hate to backtrack and go back. Mm-hmm. So Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump. Yes. He did not take a salary. He, he took a percentage. He took a percentage a of the gross. And That's the God smart Almighty move. that paid off. See, now that was actually a problem with Forrest Gump that the writer also yes. took a percentage of it. And he took like $350,000 plus a percentage of the sales. But he and got the net sales. They fucked him over. That's what I'm saying. That's the Hollywood accounting because they were like, in terms of gross sales, that's what you want is the gross sales. Right. But if you say the net sales, the studios can make it look like the movie didn't make money. Oh, yeah, they do it absolutely. all the time. So, by comparison, Tom Hanks did the same thing. Mm-hmm. He got $40 million for his cut. Mm-hmm. The writer that actually wrote it got 350000 in the shaft. Yeah. Wow. They came back and made it up. Like They bought like two more movies for sequels, yeah. but then they ended up just kind of leaving those in wow. production well, hell. And not to backtrack on that, too, but the author's name is Winston Groom, and yep. that is also another movie that is significantly better than the book. That book is fucking weird. If you ever really, read it. and it yeah. changed book. so much from the actual. Yeah, the they movie. changed it. Like Bubba was a white dude. Like at one point, Forrest Gump goes to space with a monkey. Weird. All right, all right. So getting back to the cinematic classic, Dumb and Dumber. Based on the box office success of Ace Ventura, Carrie was able to negotiate a salary of seven million for the film. Mm-hmm. Not Damn. bad. How much do you think Jeff Daniels got paid for his role as Harry? I think he worked scale. Did two hundred thousand. $50,000. Yeah, he, he, he worked scale Christ. for that. His, he wanted to do a comedy. Yeah, his manager told him, do not take this movie. It's going to ruin your career. <laughs> and New Line Cinema originally didn't want Daniels in the film as he was only known for his dramatic work at the time. Yep. However, the Farrelly's and Carrie wanted Daniels for the part. Although New Line agreed to their demands, Daniel was offered the low salary in hopes it would discourage him from signing on to the film. Mm-hmm. 
Daniels ultimately accepted the role despite his agent reportedly dissuading him out of fears that it would kill his career. But it didn't. Not but in it the very slightest. well could have because I don't think he did any other comedies. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah, he was still mostly in dramas. Think about, yeah, because I mean, he's an acclaimed actor. Yeah. But think about whether you're on set that day for the diarrhea scene for 50000 <laughs> after your agent has told you, like, this is going to end your career. And he's like, oh. Well, imagine when he comes out of wardrobe for the first time and his hair's fucking jacked and he's yeah. driving a Mutz Cuts van. And, <laughs> yeah. Or like on the dress up day, he's wearing an orange suit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. But it's I, it's it it may be if it's not my favorite comedy it is in my top three easily absolutely oh it's great so they had some other big names vying for the characters as well okay. Steve Martin and Martin Short both turned down the role of Lloyd which is Jim Carrey's character um, yeah I love yeah. Steve Martin a lot I see he couldn't play that character better than Jim nah. Carrey. According to Split Cider, Nicolas Cage and Gary Oldman were both original choices for Harry and Lloyd. What the fuck, man? Okay, yeah. but Gary Oldman is like one of the most underrated actors. He's very good. He's I great, just, but maybe he would have pulled it off. I just can't see anybody in my mind but Jim yeah. Carrey and Jeff Daniels. Sure. So uh, Chris Elliott and Rob Lowe were also both considered for the role of Harry. Okay, Rob Lowe is a and Chris he's a great too. actor. He's, Rob yeah. Lowe but he's can no play Jim very Carrey good, in that. No. no, Rob Lowe is great at deadpan comedy. I see him filling the role of of Leslie Nielsen later on in life with that deadpan. Yeah, right? he'd be excellent at it. The uh, you can do it. Can do, oh, talking about uh, that was um Steve Buscemi, isn't it? No, that's uh, the Water Boy. It's the Water Boy, but it's yeah, wasn't but it, it Rob Lowe in the Water Boy? That's not Rob Lowe. That's Rob uh, Schneider. Schneider. Ah, yeah. uh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. A little different. Um, <laughs> Just a tiny. So a little tidbit. Jim Carrey's chipped tooth is genuine, mm -hmm. resulting from a fight with a classmate in his childhood, but he had since had it capped. He simply had the crown temporarily removed from the tooth to portray Lloyd. Oh, nice. Funny. Yeah. And again, like you said, the lines in this movie are instant classics. Mm -hmm. Pull over. No, it's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. <laughs> then when they get out to uh, Aspen, they're looking for the phone book to try to find Mary Swanson. Mm -hmm. It's like swimmy, swilly, swanny. He looks down, yeah, he looks down at the briefcase. Ah, Samsonite. I knew she'd be unlisted. <laughs> it was way off. Swanson, Swanson. Because he said swimmy, swummy, Swanson. He even gets it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Samsonite. He goes, check the case. <laughs> Samsonite. I was way off. These are just as good as cash. These are IOUs. This one's for 250K. You might want to hold on to that one. Dude, some of them were really just ad-libbed. Like when he was said, we landed on the moon. Like He just did that off the cuff. And they said he just fucking, everybody yeah. fell out, dude. And then even like if you've never, because I've seen the movie so many fucking times that I really wanted to see the deleted scenes. And there is a deleted scene that is spectacular when they're both sitting in the hot tub. Yep. Remember at the uh, at the shitty motel. Yeah, the shitty motel. Are they farting in there or yeah. whatever? Yeah, he was like, ah, oh, he said I would have. He said something about basically he would have fucked him, and he was like, you would have liked it too. He said, mm hmm. He said I would have split you like a log. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Dumb and Dumber, one of the all-time favorites of mine. Nice. Yeah, it is fantastic, man. Like I said, probably my favorite comedy. Well, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel bad because I did two relatively serious films and I kind of... Both of you guys did. Both of yeah. us did. Yeah. yeah, I got fart jokes and the funny stuff. But, I know, yeah. but that's my, uh, for me, you know, buddy, I'm more into dramas and sci-fi, mm -hmm. which is 
I hate both uh, that's, of those. Yeah, yeah. That's not- I should have done one, because I like, I like dramas and stuff like that too, but I also love comedies. But whatever, I picked two dramas. The other one being Shawshank Redemption. God See, damn. That, that one I can get on board with. such a good movie. Shawshank is a knockout movie. Think about the best picture category for 1994. Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction. Like, God, I mean, like, we were so lucky to be able to be alive during that time. I mean, yeah. how the hell did Dumb and Dumber not make that list, though? <laughs> did, did it, it came out in It was 94? Yeah, December 1994. Yeah. Uh, would it well, have qualified? I, I'm I sure Jim Carrey had a little bit to say about that. God, well, it's certainly. It's not picture of the year. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> they, do they do a best comedy in, for the Academy Awards? I think there's, I think comedy is a. So I category. was reading they do they didn't win any major ones but they actually fared very well at the MTV Music Awards. Yeah. Uh, ah yeah. yes, You're that the, was yeah. big back in the in those yeah. days too. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, yeah, they're not like that's the problem with the Academy Awards. Like the comedies that they like are like highbrow things that I like highbrow Aren't stuff funny. too. But I honestly, bro, sometimes a fart joke just kills. It's me, a fart man. joke. Yeah. yeah. Well, would they win the Moon Man? Was that what yeah, that, that was, was for? The, so. It was yeah. the popcorn. Yeah, uh, the yeah, Moon yeah, Man yeah. was for the VMA Video Music Awards. But yeah, so Shawshank Redemption is actually an interesting story because it almost didn't get made. Really? And when it came out, it bombed horribly. Hmm. No, it was more of a, a video right. sensation. Yeah, exactly. So the the it was actually the guy named it was Frank Darabont, and uh, he mm-hmm. was the director, and he was the one that adapted the screenplay. He had actually done some work with uh, Stephen King earlier. Right, okay. so this is based on on and an actual. Shawshank's a Stephen King, a short story yeah, in novella. one of his novels. That's yeah, it's, right. it's, yeah. it's a novella. It was based on a novella called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, which I've read. It's, it's very good. It's fantastic. But again, movies better than the book. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And even Stephen King would probably admit because that. I mean, but Shawshank was a short story, so to be able to right. elaborate it into a three-hour yeah. movie, it was like, like an eighty-page little short thing or yeah. whatever. So Stephen King has this deal with filmmakers: you can buy the rights to his movies for a dollar. But Actually, he's going to get a percentage of the... I think that's how it works out. But if you can, he'll give you the rights to make the movie if he likes what your project is. And he'll so, sell it to Steven Spielberg for a dollar, but he's going to get something on the back end. Yeah, he's not, he's not just a dollar, but he's just yeah. giving people an opportunity to option a work that nobody else normally could, which is really fucking cool, man. But yeah, so like I said, Frank Darabont had worked with him, and back in 1987, he optioned the book for a dollar or whatever, right? And sure. Stephen King was cool with it. And actually, at a certain point, he ended up writing Stephen King a check for $5,000 just to say, like, thank you for giving me the option on this. Here's half your mortgage for one month, yeah. Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Well, Stephen King never even cashed it. He framed it and oh, put wow. it up there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty baller to be able to get a $5,000 check in and be like, you know what? I'm just going to frame this. Right? Yeah. King like never cashed a $5,000 check from Darabont. He later framed it and returned it to Darabont, accompanied by a note which read, Quote, in case you ever need bail money. Love, Steve. It's like uh, <laughs> restaurants putting their first dollar earned up on That's the, uh, right. on the exactly. wall. Yeah. Here's another interesting thing about Frank Darabont, the director, though. He also was a screenwriter for another one of my favorite movies of all time. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Yeah, that's one of the best Freddy movies ever. It's so bad, it's incredible. It's fantastic. I watched part six when it came out a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, they're still funny. Funny as hell. But they don't have Robert England anymore as Freddy, I believe. I don't think so. Ever since he left, it's a different... They tried to turn it and be serious again, and I'm like, fuck you, man. Yeah, I'm going to watch Funny Freddy... Skewer somebody and be like, oh, yeah, dark meat. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, but yeah, so he had to like fight with the studio because the studio didn't want him to direct. They were going to cash him out on it and be like, here, we'll pay you a bunch of money, whatever you get the rights or producer credit, but we don't want you to, to direct. And it was his first time ever directing a movie. God damn. Yeah. So he 
fought to keep it. He actually ended up giving up a bunch of money just to direct it. Doing the Rocky fight, basically. Basically, dude. And uh, so leading up to its release, they had done some test screens with the public. And apparently they were described as like the audience loved it, loved the movie, dude, was crazy about it. Sure. And say they actually one of the producers, uh, she said that they were some of the best results that they had ever seen. So the studio actually wanted to or they actually did completely omit Stephen King's name from any of it. They were seeking a more prestigious audience and they didn't think that uh, people would go to see a movie uh, who had done like Pulp Fiction works like Cujo and stuff like and that. it. Exactly. Pet Cemetery. Exactly. Speaking of which, watch the new Pet Cemetery too about a year ago. Mm-hmm. It sucked. Really? Terrible. That sucks. Yeah. Can't be that good, you know? yeah, the reboot was not good. So they released to limited audiences or whatever. And uh, actually, what's insane is at a certain point, uh, there's a Hollywood tradition of visiting different theaters on opening night to see audiences view their film live. And Darabont and the producer went to a place called the Cinerama Dome. Nobody was there to see the movie. Oh, no. Nobody. Damn. Oh, that so sucks. So he actually, they went outside and sold two tickets outside the theater to people. And they, with the promise that the buyers didn't like the film, they would give them their money back. They were like, please go watch the movie, dude. It did not do well. Like I said, it received a wide release on October 14th, 1994. But ultimately, it lost money. It only grossed $16 million on the actual cost of $25 million. So That's this insane, guy, dude. Yeah, this guy, at the point it comes out and is bombing, and he took this huge risk to be the director, and he's thinking, this is the end of my fucking career. Right. Yeah, this is his first movie, and it could be his last. First movie directing, yeah. and then, $9 million loser. Exactly. Yeah. The studio so, is like, like, yeah, like, what that, are you doing? Yeah, like, you're drinking yourself into a coma at yeah. that point. And then at some point, yeah, when it went to video, it took off, and everybody was like, I remember what, because all the movies that we've talked about, all of them I saw in theater, except for this one. Didn't see this one in theaters. Didn't see it until we were like at my uncle's and we rented it. And I think at the time, I mean, I was like 14 years old. Movie blew me away. Like I was like, how did I never hear this before? Yeah. And everybody that watched it. Such a good movie, man. I don't know how it flopped in the theater. It did, but I'm glad it came out. Like I said, I think ultimately, as much as I love Forrest Gump, and I think Forrest Gump is great, I think Shawshank probably should have won Best Picture that year. But it's it's I can see that. That's definitely arguable. Yeah. But I mean, like, God, some of the scenes in it, you know, the scene where he's up on the roof, where he mm-hmm. almost gets thrown off. Mm-hmm. That's an insane scene. Yep. Uh, Morgan Freeman just killing it as yeah. Red. And as in the Red. Book, Red was an Irish guy, was a white guy. Yeah. Somehow huh. they cast a black dude. They yeah. really were trying to make this thing fail when they were doing it. <laughs> They're like, all right, I got this idea. Let's get the guy who wrote a real fucking lame-ass uh, horror movie. Uh, who can you get here? Uh, my The worst one. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. The, the third one, Dream Warriors. There we go. Yeah, where the wheelchair kills the kid. The yeah. wizard. <laughs> and then let's get a black guy to play the Irish guy's part. Let's also let's make sure that the writer also is the director. He's never done it before. Let's give it a shot here. And uh, it worked It worked out well. Absolutely. Yeah. Great San, movie. San Juan Taneo. That's it. San Juan Taneo. Yeah. That's all it. right. So uh, that'll lead actually into uh, my next movie, which I mean, I love sci-fi. I know Randy is not a big fan of the category. No. Yeah. Uh, Mikey's kind of hit and miss. It has to be really great. And I do believe this movie is one of the greatest out of, out of the 90s. The Matrix. Okay. All right. I like the first one. The first. And that's all we're talking about yeah, right now, yeah. because I mean, this movie came out on March 31st, 99. So it just barely made the cutoff mm-hmm. for this actual fireside chat. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it was insane. We didn't see cinematography like that prior to that movie. Mm-hmm. We saw it in cartoons and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but we didn't see it in real life. Yeah. It actually created such an to like such an extent that that sort of uh, kung fu style was used 
But like the next 10 years, it almost got annoying. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the movie popularized the bullet time visual effect by which the action within a shot progresses in slow motion while the camera appears to move at a normal speed, allowing the speed up movements of certain characters to be perceived normally. I can't really jump on the bandwagon of like just one special effect. I remember when Avatar came out. Yeah. uh People were freaking out. I loved that movie. Oh, my God. It's like the worst three hours and 50 minutes of my life. The, a, it was long as fuck. Yeah, it was a 320 or something like that. It was like that. so long. It was self-indulgent for sure. It was so long I, and it just I loved it, but the problem that I had me. was it was the first movie I saw in 3D. Mm-hmm. And just to sit there back then. It gave me a headache. Uh, it gave me a headache. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. ten, 20 minutes into the film and it was a three hour movie. Yeah. I went straight for the visuals just because I was like, all right, you know, James Cameron is doing the 3D thing. I'll go to the IMAX. I'll see it in 3D. Uh, sure. I couldn't. The, the, the storyline itself was just dances with wolves in space, last samurai in space. Sure. I couldn't tell. I honestly don't remember much about the movie. I remember being like vaguely pleased with the visual effects and the 3D thing. And that's about it. It's terrible. I, I loved it. But what I've hated about it is that the sequels have been supposed to come out for this movie for the past 20 years. Yeah. And it still hasn't. But no. anyways, mm-hmm. we, we digress. Yeah. Yes. So moving back to The Matrix. You know, it had Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss. It grossed over $460 million worldwide. Now, side note, do you know who they originally approached to be Neo in the movie? I do. Do you know, Randy? Couldn't care less. Actually, you might, just a little <laughs> bit more. They actually approached Will Smith, and they wanted Will Smith to be Neo in the movie. The Wachowski brothers approached him, and they were like, hey, check it out, man. We're coming out with this movie. We're like, you're inside a machine. But you're not really inside a machine. There's like this world inside of a world. Will and we're Smith thought to- the same thing I did. That's fucking stupid. And he was <laughs> like, you know what? I'm going to pass on this. I'm going to go do Wild Wild West. Yeah. Probably, in my opinion, a better movie. <laughs> oh, no. I Man, that movie culture. was horrible. I'm telling you, I can't get on board with The Matrix. I, I just but did you I don't out, do sci-fi. Aside from The Matrix, did you actually like Wild Wild West? I don't think I've ever seen it. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's a sci-fi you. country movie. It basically is, yeah. That's what I was thinking, too, because I was like, so they didn't sell them on that, but then they sold them on, they're like in a Wild Wild West movie where there's a giant mechanical spider guy. Or well, something. I think the flip side on that was that he was actually going to be like the executive director yeah. and all that. So he was like, you know what, fuck this, I'm so, going to do that. But the original movie had Will Smith as Neo and Val Kilmer as Morpheus. Okay. I think part of the problem with a lot of these movies is all your little group of friends and the media, everybody hypes it like mm-hmm. so hard. And when you go watch it, Unless it like seriously impresses me yeah. or the storyline's awesome or I'm laughing a lot. And I just kind of, the, the hype pisses me off. No, and yeah, and then okay, I just kind of yeah. cast the movie off, you know? A hundred percent. There's nothing worse than an overhyped anything. Because yeah. it always seems to under deliver. The only thing I can think of that was overhyped that actually delivered was that Popeye's chicken sandwich, man. <laughs> Damn right. Damn right it did. So, but you know, like with me, like, I love going to the movies. I love sci-fi movies, mm-hmm. but I had an issue back in the early nineties where I would actually fall asleep in movies. Mm-hmm. Like I would get to the theater and there was something about like when they would cut the lights yeah. off and everything, it just, it would lull me right to sleep. Yeah. And I remember seeing the matrix in the theaters 
I fell asleep uh, during the Matrix. <laughs> I like literally like went in like I maybe was able to stay up for the first like ten minutes or so. Oh man, you fell asleep. Deep in the movie. <laughs> fell asleep, and I woke up with only like twenty minutes left in the yeah. helicopter scene where like he's like he's starting to believe. Oh, you man. know, like that's when I woke up. I was like, what the fuck yeah. is going on? Right. You know, but you know, went back and watched it a couple of times. And yeah. I, like it's 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 a great movie. When that first time when you're seeing the bullet time, yeah. it, it was, was a, the cinematography was totally groundbreaking. It was insane. It was insane. If someone asked me, like, hey, sci-fi is a genre, nine times out of ten, maybe 99 times out of 100, I'm like, nah. But I did legitimately like the first Matrix, and the bummer was I was excited when the second one came out, and I went to the theater, and I was like, I'm good on this for the rest of my yep. life. Yeah, I was yep. the same way. Yeah, but was I mean, like, Reloaded? I, was that number two? I think so. And then yeah, the Matrix one, Reloaded. Which, and I then... didn't see the third one until someone actually rented it. And, and you're on a plane, and that's the only thing you have to watch. It is- was, and I <laughs> so, was, you know, I was on the flip side. I watched everyone in the theater. Oh, so yeah, no. I went to, I actually went to the theater for the second one, and then the third one, I was like, I'm not even gonna bother. And then uh, a girl I was dating at the time rented it, and she loved horrible movies, and it surely was horrible. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I think the second and third were not by any means what the first one was you know i mean like you look at the first one like the lobby scene where they're trying to get morpheus out of the building Mm -hmm. and they go in there with like literally like a thousand guns and like bombs and stuff and they're like running up on the walls and taking people out you didn't see that shit before that movie back in the day so seeing that kind of stuff was insane and slow-mo time or like the helicopter scene where they're breaking them out and uh neo was sitting there just like pumping bullets into the room like 80 floors up or something like that I mean, it was just, there was a, a couple of just classic scenes out of yeah. that movie that were just, I mean, insane. And I just loved the whole plot, everything of it. Yeah, so the story of the first one was pretty cool. They could have just left it right there, like, all right, there you go. And I would have been fine with it. Oh, sure. But, you know. But, I, don't I mean, know. even to tag on that, do you know that The Matrix 4 is coming out on April 1st, 2022? I will not hmm. watch it. And it might be the worst April Fool's joke of all time. But we'll see. I Even if, even if it does come to theaters... And it, I don't think I will. You know what? My wife and son will watch it, so I will be. I'll probably to, go with them. I'll to the have movies. to be. I'll be forced to watch fifteen minutes of it at a time. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to some real uh, cinematic genius. <laughs> My <laughs> real cinematic genius. That's right. My second movie I selected was probably top three for me all time. Tommy Boy. Oh man, that was your movie growing up. Absolutely, now, I still even is. remember you doing the fat guy in little coat and busting shirts and jackets. <laughs> and, oh, I take it. You were a pretty agile big dude. You could actually do the like cartwheels and shit too. So you could really sell the Chris Farley. No oh, one hundred percent back in the day, no doubt. So uh, Tommy Boy starred Chris Farley, David Spade, and Rob Lowe, and I'm pretty sure that I can recite about ninety five percent of that movie verbatim. Of course. Tommy Boy hit theaters on March 31st, 1995, and did a respectable $32.7 million on a $20 million budget. Okay. So it made money. Yeah. If you've watched TV in the last 20 years, you've probably seen the movie, uh, but just in case you haven't, here is a quick rundown of how it went. After seven years at college, Tommy Callahan III, who was Farley, barely graduates from Marquette University and returns to his hometown of Sandusky, Ohio. So you remember the college scene? Uh, totally, yeah. Oh, of course. minus... I passed. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, there's the bong rip and he falls through the table. Of course. Well, Chris Farley was a, a legit rugby player at, uh, oh, yeah. at Marquette. Marquette, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. So his father was Big Tom Callahan, who uh, was Brian portrayed by Dennehy. Brian Dennehy. Yeah. yeah, he recently passed, didn't he? All right. I think so. I hope not. If he did, I'm sorry. Yeah, Brian. I know. I, I, I think he did, though. <laughs> he passed away in the movie, though. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) So he gives Tommy an executive job at the family's auto parts plant, Callahan Auto. In addition to the new office, Big Tom reveals that he has plans to marry Beverly Barish Burns, who was Derek. Bo Derek, man. Man, she was hot. Back in the day, certainly. God. No doubt. And he had met Bo Derek or Beverly at a fat farm. And that her son was none other than Rob Lowe, yep. the aforementioned yep. Rob Lowe. Yep. Played um, an excellent, excellent asshole in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah, man. the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And he was Tommy's new stepbrother, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that scene where they're going to tip cows, yeah. and they wind up at the fucking gas station, and he's mm-hmm. squirting him, and he's <laughs> I'm a maniac, maniac <laughs> and on he, the, the floor. Rob Lowe is just completely disgusted. He's like, what the fuck? Did ever. you eat paint chips as a kid? <laughs> no. Live under telephone Why? poles. Why? Yeah. However, Big Tom dies from a sudden heart attack at the wedding reception. After the funeral, doubting the future of the company without Big Tom, the bank reneges on promises of a loan for the new brake pad division and seeks immediate payment of Callahan Auto's debts. Tommy suggests a deal. He'll let the bank hold his few inherited shares and house in exchange for the bank giving him time to sell enough brake pads to prove the new division's viability. If the brake pads are sold by the deadline, the bank will give the loan. Tommy sets out on a cross-country sales trip with his father's assistant, David Spade, mm-hmm. who played an absolute perfect role in that movie as yeah. well. Just oh, kind of those yeah, yeah, yeah the perfect antagonist to Tommy. Yep. Meanwhile, Beverly and Paul are shown kissing romantically, and it's revealed that they are not mother and son. They're, in fact, trying to fuck over uh, Big Tom Callahan's right. estate. I remember when I first saw that scene, I was like, oh, yeah. no, no, no. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I got it. Exactly. Ugh. So they need to come up with cash, and she seeks a quick sale to the self-described auto parts king, Ray Zielinski, who was Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. So we're dropping major names in this movie, Certainly. right? Yeah, of course. On the road, Tommy's social anxiety and hyperactivity alienates several potential buyers when he catches cars on fire or <laughs> talks about running his car off a bridge embankment. Yeah. yeah. Here comes uh, the meat wagon. Woo, woo. The new, new guy guys. Puking <laughs> his guts up. Oh, my God. <laughs> The lack of progress leads to tension between Tommy and Richard, and when all seems lost, Tommy persuades a sultry waitress to serve him after the kitchen is closed, and Richard suggests to use his skill at reading people to make sales. The two quickly become friends and quickly make their sales goal. However, Paul sabotages the company's computers. Remember, we got a shirt ripped off. That oh, yeah. Is, uh, that is the, one of the top three scenes, because he just stands there and is like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> With half of the sales now canceled, the bank, backed by Beverly and Paul, decides to sell Callahan Auto to Zelensky. Hoping they can persuade Zelensky to reconsider, Tommy and Richard travel to Chicago, boarding a plane, posing as flight attendants. Remember when he went into the bathroom? David Spade went in the bathroom and literally just walked in and walked right back out in a new uh, new outfit. <laughs> Chris Farley went in there. He got his tie caught in the toilet. Yes. <laughs> he went up busting the door open. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> that was a Chris Farley thing right there. Uh, remember, remember that, that part? Movie? Remember the, when he made that song? And then <laughs> that was awesome. awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> Tommy and Richard are denied entrance to the Zelensky boardroom since Tommy officially has no standing. As they wallow on the curb in self pity, Michelle arrives with Paul and Beverly's police records. Tommy devises a plan. Dressed as a suicide bomber by using road flares, he attracts the attention of a live television crew, and then alongside Michelle and Richard. Forces his way back into the boardroom. This came out before 9-11, I think. Way (laughs) before. Absolutely. Don't worry, they're road flares. (laughs) Did you eat paint chips as a kid? (laughs) Dude, I mean, the idea of a suicide bomber as a plot device now. (laughs) (laughs) A little odd. little, yeah, look frowned upon. Back in Sandusky, Callahan workers watch the drama on a television. 
In a final move of pure persuasion, Tommy quotes Zelensky's own advertising slogan that he's on the side of the American working man. As the TV audience watches, Zelensky signs Tommy's purchase order for 500,000 brake pads and saves the company. So, the movie got some positive critical feedback, including the uh, Los Angeles Daily News giving the film a positive review, calling it sweet-natured and a good belly laugh of a movie. I'd give it more of a belly laugh. It's, it's fucking hilarious. Dude, well, that's, that's I mean, great yeah, comedy. That's a, that's a uh, film critic's critics. way of saying... <laughs> I laughed out loud. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed heartily. LOL. I yeah. LOL'd uh-huh. in real time. Comedies always do horribly in critics. And that's the thing. There's certain movies where I look at what, the, like if I got a Rotten Tomatoes, if it's a drama movie, I need to have a high score. Sure. If it's a comedy and it says there's a 23% score, I'm still going to fucking watch it. If I'm interested in the movie because right. they always shit on like lowbrow comedy. Yeah, no doubt. And I like lowbrow yeah, comedy. Same, same with wrong us. with it. You know, me and my wife, we... Uh, we actually look at Rotten Tomatoes, and if it has a bad score, it's actually probably a movie we're going to like. Yeah. So. It depends on the genre, though, because sometimes <laughs> critics do get it right. There's some really shitty movies out there, but comedies, it's yeah, it's pretty it much varies. the opposite. Yeah. So Online Film Critics Society also received the film positively, saying that the film would please Farley fans, and it did. Absolutely. Dan Marucci and Nancy Sarugi of the Broomfield Enterprise said the film was Farley at his best, and Scott Weinberg of DVDTalk.com said it was pretty damn funny. In the 2015 film I Am Chris Farley, many of his fellow SNL peers praised Farley's performance. Dan Aykroyd stated that the movie showcased Farley's quality and range as an actor, while Jay Moore noted the audiences were able to see Farley's sensitive and vulnerable side. Mm Mm-hmm. Dude, it almost gutted me when Adam Sandler did the tribute to Chris oh, yeah. Farley oh, on yeah. SNL yeah. and singing the song and all that. Oh, yeah. I was tearing up. No doubt. Among the negative reviews, and there were plenty, uh, Chicago Sometimes film critic Roger Ebert wrote, Tommy Boy is one of those movies that plays like an explosion down at the screenplay factory. You can almost picture a bewildered office boy, his face smudged with soot, wandering the, through the ruins and rescuing pages at random. Too bad they didn't mail them to the insurance company instead of filming them. This film is on Ebert's most hated list. So, fuck Roger Ebert. Yeah, fuck well, Roger you know, Ebert. You know, it sucks is he because I, these days? he is, but I actually, it sucks that that's a bad review, but Ebert was a, actually a really interesting, cool dude who, his reviews could be very good. It, he got this one wrong. He got comedies wrong a lot, like I said. Sure. But, it's pretentious. I mean, I guess if if that's what you I think it's, I think he actually was like one of the best critics of all time. This one aside, but that's my take on it. I, Who was I like the sidekicks, Ebert. buddy. They had the show. Siskel Roger. was the Siskel. dick. Siskel, Siskel was Ebert, the legitimate so. dickhead. Like Ebert in, was like apparently like a really nice dude. Was a really cool guy. And Siskel Roger said, was a dick. Yeah, they said Siskel was a fucking dickhead. Like they were like multiple people have said that they had to deal with him. They're like he was an asshole. Jerk. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have been that cool if he didn't like Tommy Boy. But uh, then again, most of my favorite love movies do range in the 30 to 50% Rotten Tomatoes rating. Actually, one of my favorite lines of that movie is when Chris Farley needs to take a piss uh, and they're driving down the road and uh, David Spade's like, all right, cool, I'll pull over. So they pull over and the car is kind of like they're on the freeway and the car is kind of blocking Chris Farley. And he unzips his pants and he starts pissing and David Spade starts to pull away. And Chris Farley's like, oh, God damn it. And he starts like running after the car and he jumps in the car. He's like, God damn it. I got my thing stuck in my zipper. I got piss all over my pants. <laughs> like, that was one of my favorite lines. Absolutely. So I do have a third favorite that almost, almost jumped into my top two. Mm-hmm. Office Space. Office Space is great. That's so a great movie. If you have ever worked in 
a corporate environment mm-hmm. in the slightest and you have reporting and you have multiple bosses and a swing like, lane stapler. I mean, that is your life. And yeah. you watch that movie and you're like, God, they knocked this out. Yeah. That's and, why uh, it was good. It was so relatable for some Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sure. It had some had pretty heavy hitters in it too. I mean, that's the other thing though, is a lot of these guys got typecast. When I see Lumberg, yeah, Gary that's all, Cole. Yeah, Gary yeah. Cole. That's all I think is Lumberg. Yeah. Yeah. Um Jennifer Aniston made her way out of that. I don't think of, you know She was pretty weak in that anyways. She was the love interest. There was nothing yeah. too funny about her. Uh but yeah, no, Office Space is just it's just incredible. Mike Judge the one, this we're talking '90s movies, but I, Idiocracy to me is just way up there. I fucking oh, of course, Idiocracy. yeah, hell yeah. So he's got Idiocracy. Planning the Doritos <laughs> to, to make Dorito trees, dude. He like Mike Judge has Beavis and Butthead, Office Space, Idiocracy. That's all he needs for me, man. I was like, you're a national treasure. Yeah. D- King D- of the Hill. Yeah, King of the Hill. Yeah. Diedrich Bader in Office Space was awesome too. Lawrence, the next door neighbor. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, yeah. Peter, turn on Channel 9. They got a breast <laughs> exam going on. Yeah, that's it, dude. What would you do with a million dollars? Two chicks at one time. <laughs> what? You had a million dollars? You do two chicks at once? Well, take a million dollars to double up on a dude like me. <laughs> <laughs> telling you, dude. It's fantastic. Absolutely. I guess my uh, honorable mentions are going to be um, Dazed and Confused. Great movie. Yeah, good God, movie. fantastic movie. Uh, Independence Day. Another Will Smith movie. I hate that movie, man. What is really, fucking wrong with you? I don't like it, man. I, it's, really? I really, I never, I, I don't like it. It's okay uh, though. Hey, I'm, I'm the, I am the odd man out. Everybody likes the movie. I don't care for. It. Guess what? I don't like it either. If it has made up alien space stuff, I'm well, good. Well, that, and then I'm like the, the, you know, Randy Quaid as the drunk crop duster, <laughs> and they give the guy an F-16 to fly it, and then like they load up a virus into the spaceship from an Apple computer or whatever. For uh, Jeff Goldblum, yeah. I'm just like uh, into their dick. their alien spaceship that yeah. doesn't have a firewall. Yeah, welcome to Earth. And then I just don't. Yeah, he's like, I'm chomping on a cigar. I'm a badass Will Smith. I just didn't like. What about it, Bill Paxton's speech? Fucking lame. Fuck you. Yeah. No way. Mel Gibson's speech in Braveheart takes a hot shit all over his speech. Yeah. Well, where's Mel Gibson these days? Probably, hopefully, making a movie. He makes pretty good ones. But he's a, he's a, there's a question. Yeah, he's questionable he's... as a human being, but the man knows storylines. Uh, but then a couple other honorable mentions: uh, Jurassic Park, yeah, The Green Mile, yeah, Green Mile, yeah, that was a good one. Fifth Element, another sci-fi movie. No. I can't watch it. Yeah, fuck y'all. All right. <laughs> Point Break. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a jam. Absolutely, so good. That is Keanu Reeves. Totally. Keanu Reeves is not. Neo, no. in my mind, right? He's Neo was a good. No, he was is an good FBI agent. Yeah, <laughs> Neo was a good fit though, because it really was sort of a one-dimensional character where he just was constantly like, "Whoa!" No, but uh, he is a mixture between uh, Johnny Utah and Ted Theodore Logan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a pretty accurate. Whoa! Yeah. But uh, no, Point Break is incredible. Sway's dog is R.I.P. Brother, you strange cat. Um, it's so but funny. goddamn you could act. Yeah, sometimes, man. Uh, Roadhouse is pretty fucking hilarious. I love Roadhouse. I do too, but it's because it's so bad. <laughs> it's not a legitimately good movie, dude. It's a fucking horrible, stupidly written movie, and it's hilarious. I watched Roadhouse more in the last five years than I watched the first thirty-five years of my life. Every time it's on TV, watch it's Roadhouse. worth watching. It's so it's it's ridiculous, dude. We get that, but that's eighty-nine, so we're still we're sticking in the nineties. <laughs> that, that's another episode. Yes, but Point Break is a super solid. Uh, falling down. I love falling down. Falling down. God is, damn, is, that is, was a, that was a good Michael movie. Michael Douglas is a badass, dude. dude. Him and the the 
McDonald's or Whack Donald's or whatever he yeah. was in. God, trying to get breakfast 10 minutes afterwards. That's the thing, because it's so relatable. You're like, I've been there, dude. I want to fuck some shit up. But then at the end, when he's like, wait a second, I'm the bad guy? Like, yeah. I'm the bad guy? And then yeah. you're like, and then, but he realizes, because he's like, you are, dude. <laughs> you're you're not a good person. Like, you're, I understand your frustration. But you shouldn't, you know, shoot a shotgun in the air and give a guy a heart attack on a golf course because you're having a bad day. As funny as it is. And then the last one was uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. So, yeah. yeah. I can take it or leave it. <laughs> I love Well, Randy doesn't like a movie or whatever. He has a sense of disgust on his face. He's just like, nah, yeah, that's nasty. <laughs> I, I didn't laugh in it. that movie. <laughs> that's dumb. <laughs> but not dumber. <laughs> Yeah, I know you guys covered all my other mention. Like I was Point Break would have been the one I mentioned too, but uh, yeah, I, I went with Shawshank Redemption instead of Point Break. Yeah, so. ah, it works. It works. All right. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this fireside chat. Tune in next week for another episode of Asshole Corp. As always, if you like what we do, give us a follow on all our social media platforms at AHC Podcast. We definitely appreciate the support. And again, if you are feeling special, leave us one of those sweet five star reviews that people like so much. Stay safe out there. Show love to one another. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on Asshole Court.